and welcome to the Blessed Life Podcast, where we explore together how to walk in the promises of Jesus. Thanks for listening today. My name is Eric Anderson, and I'm the discipleship pastor at New Life Lutheran Church. Today on the podcast, we are continuing our conversation, Habits of a Disciple. We spent several weeks earlier this summer discussing what discipleship is and how we are discipled by Jesus. We looked at the book of Colossians, a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. And now we spent the last six weeks or so talking about the various things that we do as disciples, the way that Jesus disciples us. We started off this conversation by talking about the learning circle and how Jesus actually taught people and how he invited people into this life of learning with him. Then we talked about scripture and we talked about prayer as the two main habits of a disciple. We're continuing this conversation today by talking about the habit of worship. That worship is central and it is vital to being a disciple. In fact, really in many ways, we cannot separate scripture, prayer, and worship from each other. That they are all intermingled and all part of what we do as Christians and as disciples of Jesus. You see, early on from the very beginning of the church, as the Holy Spirit entered into all of the disciples of Jesus in the upper room, and they began to proclaim Christ crucified to Jerusalem, Judea, and all the world, there were some natural patterns that popped up. And central to those patterns were worship, scripture, and prayer. They immediately began gathering in the temple for worship and in their homes for worship. They immediately began praying for one another and lifting each other up to God in prayer. And they immediately began to read the scriptures, not only the Old Testament, but also the collection of New Testament letters and what they called the memoirs of the apostles, which we would call the New Testament, the Gospels, those kinds of things. So they immediately began doing these three things together, scripture, prayer, and worship. We cannot separate being a disciple from doing these three things. These are actually, these are the three primary ways that we live in and inhabit life with Jesus. So we talked about scripture several weeks ago. We talked about prayer two weeks ago. Today, we're going to talk about worship. Now, there are a couple of things that we, when we have this conversation about worship, that we need to clarify. There are at least two types of worship. There is corporate worship, which is where the people of God are gathered together on a regular basis. And then there is private worship. Both of these are important. Both of these are good. They are not in opposition to one another, but they are actually connected to one another. So today we're going to talk about corporate worship first. Then we are going to talk about private worship. So in corporate worship, this is the regular gathering of God's people to hear the scripture, to respond to him in song, to receive the sacraments and to be sent away to serve God and serve others. This has been something that Christians have done from the very, very beginning. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that they went to temple nearly every day and they gathered in each other's homes nearly every day to break bread and to pray with one another. We are people who are supposed to live in community, who are designed to live in community, and we are called to gather on a regular basis. So now we gather every Sunday because that is the day that Jesus was resurrected. And we're told that we that the church has gathered on Sundays from nearly the very beginning. Uh, we have documents from the late, uh, from like the 100s uh, into the 200s that describe Christians getting together every Sunday. 
Now, as we gather together, it's really important that in our current time, we kind of have a buffet of options to gather together. We can choose what church we want to be in. Uh, we can choose based on uh, theological doctrines. We can choose based on style and type of music that they play. We can pick and choose based on how much we like the pastor or the preacher of that church. So we have a buffet style of churches, but in the beginning and for the majority of the Christian church of all places and all time, that wasn't the case. That you had a local church that all the people in your community who were believers were part of that church. So we kind of have lost a little bit about what it means to be gathered by God. But it's really important for us to note that we are not gathering just because we want to. We are gathering because God has called us to gather. So in your situation, you probably did not have a hand in choosing what day and what time worship would start and worship would happen. That was set by others. That was set by not only the pastor, but all the elders, all the individuals who are in leadership in your church, who have been called by God to serve that community and to gather that community. And so it is actually God who gathers us together. And we really don't get to choose when that happens. We are simply told when that's going to happen. And God calls us to that place in that time to gather for worship. Now, it's entirely possible if you're listening that you are, you might be a pastor or you might be on the board or leadership team or elder board, whatever it might be. Maybe you did have a hand in choosing uh, when that worship was going to happen. But for most of us, for most of Christians and most of all Christians over all time, that has not been the case. That we did not get to choose when we gathered, but we were told when we were gathered. God gathers us. We don't get to choose when we worship. We are told this is when we are worshiping as a community. And then we go there and we worship together. We are gathered by God. We do not choose in that moment. And then we enter into this time of worship. Now, worship is at its core a type of prayer. And I'm going to explain why that is. That worship and prayer are essentially the same kind of act. Because worship and prayer are both conversations with God. They are both conversations with God. And that God is the primary actor in both of those events. Worship and prayer are conversations with God. So when we talk about worship, what we're talking about essentially is a conversation with God. It is God who gathers us. It is God who speaks to us in the word. And it is God who gives himself in the sacrament. And during that worship, those are the main parts of worship. Then we have opportunities to respond. Now, Worship in church history has followed a pretty similar pattern for most of church history until very recently. Until very recently with the uh, advent of revivalism, which has changed how we worship, changed the shape of worship. Almost all churches and all worship practices across the world have taken a basic shape. And oftentimes, even more modern forms of worship, more revivalistic forms of worship, take this same shape. And here at New Life, our modern worship service is an example of this. So this is uh, how the structure of worship, or what we might call the liturgy, the liturgy is the order of worship. The structure of worship, the liturgy, since almost the very beginning, we have documents from a guy named Justin Martyr, who lived very early in the church's life, and he has said that, all Christians do pretty much the same thing. 
that they gather together on Sunday, and it is God who gathers us. They sing songs. They read the scripture out loud. They hear teaching. They pray to God. They give thanks to God. They receive communion. They give offerings to the church. And they care for those who are poor, sick, and imprisoned. He says that in almost all churches, this is the shape of worship in roughly this order. God gathers us together. We sing songs. We read scripture. We hear teaching. We pray. We give thanks. We receive communion. We give offerings. And we care for those who are poor, sick, and imprisoned. So here at New Life, our worship services take almost this exact same shape. Because we are Lutheran, we are attached to the universal practices of the church. And as Lutherans, we say that the Reformation was not about completely reforming everything that the church has done, everything that Christians have done for so long, but is simply reclaiming the evangelical truth of Scripture that God is for us in Jesus Christ and that it is Jesus that saves and not our own actions. So we have in the Reformation adjusted some practices, some abuses that were going on in the medieval Roman Catholic Church. But we recognize that there are good and beneficial ways that people have been, that Christians have been practicing the faith for generations, for millennia, that are good, that are right, that ought to be kept. And so our own worship takes this shape. We start off by confession and forgiveness, which is a pretty typical thing in many liturgies throughout history. And it is actually God who gathers us because, again, that confession and forgiveness time is not about us feeling bad for our sin, but us recognizing our flaws and asking God for forgiveness. And then it is God who forgives us, that he sets the table, that he is the one who actually calls us and makes us right as we enter into this dialogue, this conversation with him. Then we sing songs, and this is a kind of response. Singing songs is a response that we have to God. It's a way for us to pray through song, to encourage one another through song. There are lots of different types of songs that we can sing together because there are lots of different types of psalms that are given to us in the scripture. And so we kind of pattern our songs after uh, the psalms that we see and the hymns that we see in scripture. So we sing praises to God. We give thanks to God through songs. We pray to God for help through songs. We encourage one another. We preach to one another in songs. But that's a type of response that we have. Then we read scripture and we hear the sermon. And this is where God speaks to us. Now, as a pastor for myself and for all pastors across the world, the ideal for us is not to be some charismatic personality that then we attract lots of people to listen to us speak. Because pastors, preachers, are not motivational speakers. We are not called to be motivational and, and making people feel good about themselves and getting all jazzed up for what they can do. We are called by God to proclaim Christ crucified and to forgive sins. So we are called to preach Christ, to preach Jesus every opportunity that we have. And good pastors, good preachers, they expound and they teach clearly what the scriptures say. So we read scripture out loud and then we have a pastor preach on that passage to teach clearly what that means and how it shows us and reveals to us a God who loves us and cares for us and has given us his son, Jesus. So it is God who is speaking. It should not be the pastor uh, and his personality or her personality or whatever it might be. It ought to be God who speaks in that moment. And then we pray. 
after the sermon. And this is, again, a way that we respond. We hear God's word, and then we respond to him. We receive communion, which is where God speaks to us, and he gives uh, the presence of Jesus to us in the bread and the wine and the body and the blood. And we give thanks to him in that time. And then we give offerings, which is an opportunity for us to respond, to worship that way. And then we are sent out into the world. And again, here's another moment where it is not us who do the sending, but it is actually God who does the sending. We, don't just, we, aren't not, we are not just dismissed from our worship service, but we are sent out to love God and serve our neighbors. So this is how public worship is designed. And the goodness that we get from this is that God says, essentially, this is where I am. This is where I'm going to speak to you as a community. This is where I'm going to give you blessing. This is where I'm going to give you myself. Show up at this time and you'll receive me. Show up at this time and I am promising to speak to you and have a conversation with you as a body of believers. In fact, we are commanded in scripture not to forsake the gathering, but to continue in it. So regular Sunday attendance and worship is vital and central. It's kind of the center of our life of discipleship. It is a place that every, every week, it's home base. We come and we touch home base. We are renewed. We are made uh, new again by the word. We do our response and have our conversation with God, and we are sent out into the world again, into our vocations, into our work, into our families for another week. So we always do this. We always gather because it is vital to our life. It is the center part of our lives and it is what sends us out. It's almost this like a, it's almost a thing that we revolve around and we are always coming back to it. We're always entering into this space again and again and again to be shaped and to be formed and to learn and to process our what's going on. This is our home base that we come back to again and again and again, simply because God says, I'm here. I'm gathering you. This is where I'm going to meet you. This is where you can respond to me as a community of believers. I'm here at this time. Come get the soup, right? Like I like to say, God God has a soup kitchen. And he says, soup is ready at this time at this place. And we show up and we get to partake in the soup. And so this is what God does. He says, I'm here at this time in this place. I'm going to interact with you as a community. And so we show up every week. Now, when it comes to private worship, again, worship is essentially prayer. Worship is a conversation with God. And we make space in our lives for contemplation, for reading of scripture, for prayer, and for responding to God in songs. So we read scripture on a regular basis. We ought to be hearing the word of God on a regular basis. We ought to be hearing the story of God on a regular basis. And again, like I said uh, last or two weeks, you know, two episodes ago, is that scripture is meant to be digested slowly over a lifetime. So just get into it. Just get into scripture any way that you can by reading it, by listening to it through an audio Bible, whatever it might be. Just begin listening to the scriptures. We sing songs to God. If that's the way that we want to express ourselves, we can sing songs to God. Uh, my family, we like to play a lot of music and sing a lot of songs. And so a lot of our week is filled with this type of worship music and uh, a lot of responding to God and thanking him through song. And then also serving your neighbor. Because again, we are gathered so that we can be sent. And same thing with our private worship, our private prayer life, is that we are gathered, you know, kind of with ourselves, right? We, we commune with God, we talk with God, 
And then we are sent out into our world as transformed people, transformed by his word. And so private worship is a lot like prayer. And I talk a lot more about prayer in the previous episode. Just to close out this, this, uh, this episode, I do want to, I want to give a little bit of an extra note here that there are three most important parts of worship. Now I told you that worship has the same shape for, you know, pretty much all of Christian history, but there are the three most important parts that I really want you to understand is the three most important parts of worship are the word of God, baptism and confession of forgiveness and Holy communion. God is a God who descends down to us, who comes to us, who cares for us, who rescues us. As Abraham Heschel, or Rabbi Abraham Heschel says that God is a God in search of man. He is always condescending himself and reaching down to us and trying to meet us where we are. And his word is the perfect example of that. That he is a God who speaks, who wants to be known, and all of worship centers around the word of God and God speaking to us. Again, God is the primary actor in worship. We simply respond. We respond to what God has already done. And we hear about what God has already done. We are transformed by the word and we, we can see what God is doing presently by knowing the word and by being just swimming in the word. Baptism and confession and forgiveness is a way that God speaks to us. That God saves us and he drowns the old person. He has, he has killed the old person in us and he has resurrected us anew in Christ. And confession and forgiveness is the place that we enter into battle with that old person. As Martin Luther liked to say, in baptism the old man is drowned, but the little sucker has learned how to swim. That, he, that the old man continues to plague us through our flesh, through the world, through the devil. And confession and forgiveness is a way for us to recognize continually that we need God and we need him to save us. And it's a way for us to cultivate this relationship with God through his grace to us. And so baptism is the image that starts us off on this lifetime of confessing our sins and hearing of God's forgiveness and continuing to be transformed by God's radical grace for us. That God is always there for us and he always gives us his grace even when we don't deserve it, even when we don't think we need it. He continues to give it to us uh, through his word and through the sacraments. And finally, Holy Communion. God gives us Jesus in Holy Communion. Jesus says plainly throughout the scriptures several times that he, is, uh, that he abides in us and we in him. And one of the ways that he abides in us is when we eat his body and drink his blood, as he says in John 6. And then Jesus gives us bread and says, this is my body. And so by faith, we take this bread and we eat it, trusting, knowing that because of his word, it is his body and he abides in us. That God is the actor in that situation. And same thing with the wine where he says, this is my blood. And we drink the wine, trusting that it is his blood and that it does transform us. And so, again, Holy Communion is so much more than just the, the, the thing that we do on Sunday mornings. It's so much more because it's, it's actually a way that God has come to us and continues to come to us. 
continues to seek us out and continues to give us his grace even when we don't deserve it. That He, we are given the fullness of Jesus all the time. We are given the fullness of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. We are given the fullness of Jesus in the bread and the wine. And we are promised that we are forgiven. We're continually reminded that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, every time we do this, every time we break the bread and we drink the wine, we proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection. We proclaim who Christ is and we are reminded and we are transformed because of who Christ is and that he has forgiven us and he has forgiven the world. So as you enter into worship, note that those are the three most important parts. The word, baptism and confession and forgiveness, and holy communion. That God gives himself to us all throughout the worship service and we respond to him by song and prayer and thanksgiving. So this week, if you are part of a community of believers, as you enter into a time of worship this weekend, have this in mind, that you are responding to what God has already done, that you are responding to a God who loves you and gives himself for you. And also maybe recognize how some of these practices are in place in your own church, in your own congregation. Recognize the places where God speaks and you are responding. And finally, take some time to reflect on how you might more readily engage in some of the ways that God is giving himself to you, that God is giving himself to your congregation and enjoy worship. Enjoy that conversation between yourself and God, between a God who speaks to you and you have the opportunity to respond. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Have a great week. And we'll see you next time.